Hi, folks, and welcome to another edition of Behind Behind the Headlines. Mark Hyman with Ted Remington. Hi again, uh, this is Ted, and this week we're going to play around with format a little bit. As I said last time, I'm sort of trying to see what this podcast wants to be. So this time I thought I would try something different. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play Mark Hyman's commentary and intercut it with my own responses to what he's doing rhetorically in sort of the first part of the commentary and then move on to doing a response to the actual substance of what he says. And this week I actually have a special guest that I'll introduce a little bit later. So we'll try this out, see what happens. And I kind of like the idea just because it then allows you, the listener, to hear Mark Hyman's commentary without having to go to his website and viewing it or reading it separately and then coming back to this. So it's a way of putting everything together into one nice little package. So uh, we'll start uh, with this today and see how it works down the road. And this week's commentary from Mr. Hyman is about what else the debt ceiling quote-unquote crisis in Washington. So We'll play you uh, Mark Hyman's commentary, and again, I'll step in as we go to point out some of the things that he's doing rhetorically, uh, fallacies, uses of different rhetorical techniques of various sorts. The world ends on August 2nd. That's what Washington politicians want you to believe. So Mr. Hyman kicks it off with a little use of uh, demon phraseology. Washington politicians are saying these things. Supposedly, that's the day America hits the national debt ceiling. Here he throws in the qualifier supposedly to cast some shadow of doubt over all this. Previously, we were told the deadline was March 31st, April 15th, May 16th, and May 31st. This is a case of hasty generalization. In this case, Mr. Hyman is saying that uh, because these other dates were supposedly given as deadlines, that uh, any date given as a deadline is therefore uh, not real and, and fictitious. Uh, it turns out that's not the case, that according to most experts, all the wiggle room that we've been able to come up with has been used and will run out on a second. It's like the old joke. A doctor gives a man six months to live. The man tells the doctor he can't pay his bill. So the doctor gives him an additional six months to live. This is an argument by analogy and a false analogy at that. Uh, as we just noted, the idea that somehow the deadline is arbitrary uh, is in fact false. It's Washington gimmicks. Again, we have the demon term, uh, Washington gimmicks, Washington standing in a metonymic relationship for all the supposed dastardly doings going on in that town. Most media equates the debt ceiling with automatic default. Untrue. Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner, the man who cheated on his taxes for years. Here we get an interesting twofer. It's uh, an ad hominem attack on Tim Geithner, obviously, but it's also odd because this is a complete red herring. There is no possible reason why Tim Geithner's particular uh, personal issues with taxes in the past has any relevance to what Mark Hyman is talking about in this context. Is obligated to make debt payments, and we have more than enough money to pay our debt. The problem here is that we have lots of obligations uh, that are going unmentioned, including to seniors, veterans, etc., and if we honor the obligation to pay our debt without raising the debt ceiling, the consequences are going to have to cut about 40% of the federal budget, and that would mean reneging on our obligations to U.S. citizens. We default only if the White House orders us to default. 
This is an utterly nonsensical statement. The idea here is simply, again, to put the onus on the president and absolve Congress of any responsibility. Now, the White House argues we can't afford our debt, and we should take on more debt to pay off the debt we already can't afford. This is an example of argument by ridicule, where you make the opposing side's argument seem silly and ridiculous, uh, and in this case, ignoring the fact that raising the debt ceiling is simply part of the way uh, national economies work, and we've done it over 100 times in the last century. A catastrophe does await our children and grandchildren. We are saddling them with debt they can never hope to repay. This is an appeal to both fear and pity, uh, fear about the supposedly catastrophic effects of the looming debt, and pity that these effects will be visited upon not us, but the children. This is the, the classic, but what about the kids argument. This is no time to compromise. You compromise on China patterns and on which movie to see. You don't compromise on principle. This is an absolutely classic example of the false dilemma argument. You can either have principle or you can compromise, and you can't do both. There is no acknowledgement whatsoever that perhaps compromise is itself a principled action or that finding a solution that somehow transcends the two sides and goes beyond compromise might be a principled solution. And there's no acknowledgement that perhaps seeing things in black or white, my principles versus your principles, is in fact itself an unprincipled way of framing an argument. One side wants to live within our means. The other side wants to spend us in a bankruptcy. This is a demonization technique where the idea is to not even acknowledge that the other side in the conflict has reasonable goals or values, that they are inherently evil uh, and that it's a good versus bad situation, not two sets of values coming into conflict that need to be resolved. It's a, it's a me versus you, us versus them sort of mentality. You don't meet in the middle and just wildly overspend. Hold the line. Principled people shouldn't allow this White House to turn our country into Zimbabwe. So we end with a nice little trifecta of fallacies. We have the appeal to fear, the idea that America is going down the tubes because of this issue. Uh, we have the appeal to fear coming via a false analogy comparing the U.S. to Zimbabwe as if the two countries had anything remotely to do with each other economically. And we have, again, the idea that somehow this is a conflict not between competing sets of values, but between good and evil, between principled people on one side and unprincipled by implication people on the other, including the president and anyone who might agree with them. There's never any acknowledgement that there might actually be two sets of legitimate values coming into conflict here that we need to resolve somehow. That is, again, good versus evil and a very Manichaean worldview that is prevalent throughout the entire commentary. So much for the taking apart of Mr. Hyman's argument, such as it is, and looking at uh, the pieces. What I'd like to do now is look at the actual content. And there's a lot that we could say here. In particular, what I'm fascinated by is the whole constructed notion of this as a quote-unquote crisis, as if this is not uh, a situation that we've been in many times before and have dealt with and have come back from and, and that sort of thing, and the way that the crisis about the budget deficit obscures the much larger and more important issue about employment, which is something that Americans as a whole care far more about than the deficit. And by the way, solving the employment issue will go a long way towards solving the debt issue. Uh, we're cutting things probably will not. In fact, it will likely backfire. But 
what I'd like to do actually instead of just me babbling on about that is I have an opportunity to bring in somebody to talk about this. It's really kind of a, a neat thing this early in the history of the podcast to bring in an outside expert. But this is somebody who uh, I just met recently who would like to say something about these issues and respond to Hyman directly himself. And I thought it might be nice to give him a voice rather than me babbling on. So I'm going to have sort of an interview with um, his name is Ron Regan. I'm sorry, no, Reagan, uh, Reagan, not Regan, okay, oh, and you prefer Ronald, Ronald Reagan, okay, I'm so sorry, Mr. Reagan, that was, that's really a faux pas on our part, it, listen, it would have been nice if someone had told me what the man's name was, so I didn't mispronounce it on the air here, no, we don't have time to re-record all this, I don't, we've got to do it now, nope, we'll do it live, we'll, we'll do it live, whole thing sucks, do it live. All right. No. I'm sorry, Mr. Reagan. Okay, let's. Okay, let's let's bring it down. We'll just do this as an interview, and we'll start recording in three, two, one. So, Mr. Reagan, Mark Hyman says that this whole debt ceiling thing is pretty much in the president's court, and that Congress has not much responsibility for it. What would you say to that? Congress consistently brings the government to the edge of default before facing its responsibility. Huh, so in your opinion, it's actually Congress that's in charge of all of this, and they're the ones who have the responsibility and the duty to address the situation. That's that's interesting. Uh, I guess what people want to know, though, is are there any real-world consequences to not raising the debt ceiling? This fragment ship threatens the holders of government bonds and those who rely on Social Security and veteran benefits. Wow. So I guess this really would have an effect on your average ordinary person. But what about the people on Wall Street and the penthouse suites? What about the job creators? How would this affect them, Mr. Reagan? Interest rates would skyrocket. Instability would occur in financial markets and the federal deficit would soar. So you're saying that the federal deficit will actually go up if we don't raise the debt ceiling. Well, that seems 180 degrees opposed to what Mr. Hyman is saying, but I guess you guys will just have to agree to disagree, huh? The last thing I'd like to ask you about, Mr. Reagan, is this issue of principle. Mark Hyman makes a lot out of this in his commentary about the issue of principle. From your point of view, what are the principles involved in the debt ceiling debate? The United States has a special responsibility to itself and the world to meet its obligations. It means we have a well-earned reputation for reliability and credibility, two things that set us apart from much of the world. So if we continue to play politics with this debt ceiling thing, I guess what you're saying is we can sort of kiss American exceptionalism goodbye. I'm really kind of puzzled as to why Mr. Hyman would be on the other side of that issue, but you know, so be it. And on that note, I think we'll end things for this week. I'd like to thank my guest, left-wing activist Ronald Reagan. Uh, sorry again for the whole name kerfuffle. And we'll talk to you again next week. Take us on out, Eric.